almost live. Hey everyone, happy Thanksgiving and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, even on Thanksgiving, the show must go on. So we have two shows today for you, today at 9 Pacific time and at 11. And my guest today is Dr. Ronnie Bannock. She's written in a wonderful book called Beyond Carrots, Best Foods for Eye Health A to Z. I had the pleasure of meeting her recently at the Plantrician Conference, where I met so many wonderful doctors and other healthcare professionals that you'll soon be seeing more of on this show. Please welcome her to the show. Uh, welcome, Dr. Vanek, and thank you so much for taking time out on Thanksgiving Day to talk to our audience. Absolutely, Chef AJ. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is great to be here, and I'm really excited to share some information about eye health. I think it just doesn't get talked about as much as it should. You no, know, I I think so too. And it's and here's the thing, you know, everybody has eyes, so it's not just you know, it's not it's like it, it's a really wonderful topic. I know because so many people have sent in questions, and in four years of doing this show, I've actually only had one ophthalmologist on. So we look forward to talking to you. I'm curious, uh, when did you decide to write a book, and why? So it was actually during the pandemic, um, my office was closed. And so I had to find something to do. So I started to do Instagram uh, weekly sessions where I would highlight a different food that could be good for eye health. So I did a, the whole alphabet A through Z. Every week I would highlight a different food. And then I thought, well, I have all this content. Why don't I make it into a book? So that's kind of where the concept came from was actually from the pandemic. And I know you also started your show during the pandemic. So a lot of great things came out of that time when we were, um, when we were at home. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yeah, well, well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of doctors were able to continue virtually, but I imagine with eyes, you kind of have to see the person. Yeah, it was challenging. Um, I did some telemedicine, but it was really difficult, as you said, like I would have to yeah, examine. You, generally, so. they want to look into your eye. You can't really do that on Zoom, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Nice. And the other reason I wrote the book actually is because very few people, even doctors, even ophthalmologists, optometrists who are the eye care specialists, we're, we haven't really been educated in nutrition for eye health. So I also wanted to write the book to get this information out to my colleagues, to help educate them about what they should be telling their patients. How should they counsel their patients? You know, if they have macular degeneration or dry eye or cataracts, a lot of people ask, you know, what should I do? What should I eat? What should I, you know, include in my diet? Should I take a supplement? So this um, this book is designed to educate basically everyone. <laughs> Yeah, that, that is true. You're right. Well, I, I think doctors in general just don't get nutritional training, so they don't tell you what to eat for any kind of health. True. And I was thinking back to my own medical school years, and I was thinking, you know, how much nutrition did I really get taught? And I can remember half a day, four hours, half a day, and we got taught basically the macronutrients, nutrients, what's a carbohydrate, what's a fat, what's a protein, and then some vitamin deficiencies. Like if you don't have enough vitamin C, you're going to get scurvy. And that, that was about it. For the entirety of medical school and also into residency and fellowship, four hours of training, which is really, unfortunately, very inadequate. Do you think it's changing at all? Um, I think it depends on where people are. Um, I know the majority of medical schools probably don't have a formal nutrition curriculum, but some do, and some also incorporate lifestyle medicine. So as part of their lifestyle medicine curriculum, they do teach their students about nutrition and exercise and healthy habits, et cetera. Um, but I think there's a growing need for it. And I think more medical schools will become aware, hopefully, that patients want it and their doctors also want to learn. Their students want to learn. 
Well, you know, it's interesting because in the Hippocratic Oath, it actually says, let food be thy medicine. I mean, it's actually in the oath. Yes, it is. It is. So hopefully there's going to be a major shift in terms of more prevention rather than treating the disease after it happens. And prevention through means that are under people's control, like diet, like their lifestyle choices, etc. I always try to bring it back to the patient, like your health is in your hands. And if you make healthy choices, then you can ensure... Um, a healthier future for yourself. Well, I can't wait because there's there's so many questions have been sent in because, you know, especially as people age, they start seeing some problems with their eyes that they didn't see when they were younger. Absolutely. It's very common um, for eye conditions to pop up after people are 50, 60, 70, 80. Uh, but even younger people can get eye issues. Um, I've seen a lot of, especially kids, teens during the pandemic with dry eye, eye strain, et cetera. So, um, and of course, myopia, myopia is becoming a, a pandemic around the world, an epidemic pandemic. Um, so it is something that we should be aware of, you know, keeping our eyes healthy because they have to last us a lifetime. Yeah, well, I can't wait to hear because I'm somebody that, that's worn glasses pretty much my entire life. And, you know, it's like, darn, you know, it's like, is that genetic? Like, because I mean, kids wearing glasses, I mean, I was seven years old when I got my first pair and it's like no fun being seven wearing glasses. Yeah, yeah. And right now, um, in terms of, I don't know if you're nearsighted or farsighted, but near, uh, myopia is nearsightedness. And about 30% of the world is myopic right now. And by the year 2050, it's going to be 50% of the world. I mean, the numbers are staggering, uh, probably because it has to do with how much screen time we're having and up close work that we're doing. So uh, we should be mindful of that and try to get more outdoor time. So there's actually studies that show that kids who spend more time outdoors, at least two hours a day outdoors, um, have reduced rates of myopia, which is really amazing. It's phenomenal that um, there's that correlation. So now some schools around the world are uh, enforcing outdoor playtime for two hours during the school day to make sure their kids are, the students are getting that, that, um, that sunshine and vitamin D, et cetera. That is really interesting. I don't know if I spent any time outdoors when I was little. It was pretty cold in Chicago, but this is so cool that we can take some control over some of this at least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, nutrition is a key part of eye health. I, I tell my patients this all the time. I tell my colleagues this, you know, do you talk to your patients about nutrition? And most of them say, no, I don't, I don't even know what to say. So I think it really needs to be part of a conversation when we're talking to people about all kinds of eye conditions. That is fantastic. Did you want to do your presentation now and then answer questions? Sure. After? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. And then um, I may actually, depending on how much time we have, I may shorten the presentation because I also want to do a quick demo recipe for you all uh, for Thanksgiving. So um, hopefully we have enough time to do all well, of that. Yes, we have, well, as much, I, we have the next show is not till 11. So take as much time as you need. Please don't feel rushed. Okay, wonderful. So I'm going to share my screen and hopefully you can see my slides. Yep. Um, okay, great. So we're talking today about eye on nutrition going beyond carrots. And this is, again, a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm tra trained as an ophthalmologist, also as a neuro-ophthalmologist, but I also have certification in integrative and functional medicine. So I bring together all of the um, holistic aspects of eye health, nutrition, supplements, botanicals, and lifestyle changes, um, stress modulation as well. So let's talk about nutrition. So this is a question I like to ask a lot of my patients. Um, what are the most important foods for eye health? And when I ask this question, the vast majority of my patients will answer this, eat carrots. That's what, um, that's what I was told, you know, my parents told me or my grandparents told me, eat those carrots and your eyes will be fine and you'll have 20-20 vision. Well, I'll tell you that 
this um, urban myth that's been carried down through the generations, it's only partially true. It's not completely true because if you eat carrots every single day, day in, day out, you're not ensured to have excellent vision. Um, and uh, so the, there's actually an interesting story about how carrots became kind of like the, the, uh, the key food that people associate with good eyes. This actually came out from um, what was happening during World War II. And I thought I would share this very brief part of history with you all. So during World War II, the Germans were flying in at night and they were bombing England. And so they were really causing a lot of destruction. But England had a way to detect those, those uh, fighter planes coming in and they were actually shooting them down be before they could drop their bombs. And the Germans couldn't figure out how is it that the pilots, that the, uh, the British pilots are detecting our planes and shooting them down. So the British started spreading this rumor that their pilots were eating carrots and carrots were giving them supersonic eyesight, you know, super high, you know, eagle eye acuity. And so this myth got propagated because that if you eat carrots, you're gonna have good night vision good vision overall. The truth is that the British had invented a new technology and this new technology was radar. So they were able to see those planes coming in and shoot them down because they had radar, but they told the Germans, no, it's because of the carrots. But regardless, everyone at that point started eating carrots because they wanted to have good eyesight. So basically, so much, uh, there were so many carrots grown in the world that there was a carrot surplus. So people were having carrot soup, carrot stew, casseroles, cakes, cookies, all kinds of things with carrots because there's just so, so many carrots. So yes, it's partially true that carrots are important for eye health, but carrots provide beta carotene, which then gets converted by the body into vitamin A. And we absolutely need vitamin A. We need vitamin A to help prevent night blindness, to help prevent dry eye, but that's not the only nutrient we need to keep our eyes healthy. And it's not the only food we need to keep our eyes healthy. So yes, eat some carrots, but make sure you have other foods in your diet. And we're going to talk about what those foods are in just a few minutes. Um, so sometimes I also ask my patients, okay, what else aside from carrots do you think are important to keep your eyes healthy? And this is oftentimes what my patients will tell me. Well, my eye doctor, I went to the eye doctor. They said I had a little bit of macular degeneration. They told me to eat leafy greens. So, um, so that's an answer that's also very commonly given. Eat leafy greens for your eye health. Now, why are leafy greens important? Well, they have many, many nutrients. And most importantly, they have nutrients called macular carotenoids. Now, I don't know how many of you have heard of macular carotenoids. Chef AJ, have you heard of the macular carotenoids? I have not. I've heard of carotenoids, but not macular ones. So carotenoids are basically, they're all relatives of vitamin A. They're also beta carotene, alpha carotene, cryptoxanthin. There are many, many carotenoids in the world and, and that come from plants. But macular carotenoids are three specific carotenoids. And again, these are relatives to beta carotene and vitamin A. These are nutrients that come from plants and they are selectively deposited by our bodies into the back of our eyes. Now, what I'm showing you here is on the right, this is a picture of the retina in the back of the eye. You can see some of the, see some of the blood vessels in the retina. Uh, this is actually an infrared picture. And what you're seeing here is these yellow rings, these yellow and orange rings are actually the macular carotenoids that get deposited selectively into the back of the eye, into the macular area of the back of the eye. The macula is responsible for our 20-20 vision. So if you don't have a healthy macula, you cannot have 20-20 vision. So these nutrients are deposited there. It's amazing how nature evolved this way, deposited there to protect the retina. What they do is these, these nutrients, so there are the, three macular carotenoids, lutein, zeaxanthin, and 
mesozoxanthin. I know they're hard to pronounce, they're hard to spell, but they're, they're again, they're carotenoids, so you can call them the macular carotenoids to make it easier. Uh, what they do is they're very large molecules, and they get deposited in the retina, and what the body does is they use these, these molecules as shields. So whenever you have bright, powerful light coming into your eyes, whether it's UV light or blue light, and a lot of people are concerned about blue light from coming from our screens because we're on screens all the time. These molecules, these nutrients, absorb those potentially harmful wavelengths of light and they neutralize them. So basically these macular carotenoids, these three macular carotenoids are like our natural antioxidants. They're like our internal sunglasses and like our internal blue blockers. So um, it's so amazing. It's really a miracle how our eyes develop this way to have a natural protection. Now, in terms of these carotenoids, as I mentioned earlier, they come from plants. Um, our bodies cannot make them. So we have to get them externally. And the best sources, yes, are leafy grains. But there are other sources of these carotenoids as well. Basically, most foods that are yellow and orange in color will be rich in macular carotenoids. So if you think about yellow and orange foods, um, so I love, uh, for eye health, I love to tell my patients, eat orange bell peppers, eat yellow bell peppers, eat corn. Yes, try to get yellow corn, but we can also eat other varieties of corn because it will give you the macular carotenoids, but it'll also give you lots of other powerful nutrients as well. So think about the yellow and orange foods as well as the green leafy vegetables. It's not just the spinach and kale, et cetera, that our eyes need to stay healthy. Now, I'm gonna just um, take a little bit more of a, I'm gonna take a few steps back and talk a little bit more about general eye health. So I talked about you know, carrots, the importance of beta carotene carrots for night blindness, also the macular carotenoids for their benefits for retinal health. But when you think about the eye, the eye is actually, it's a small organ. It's only about the size of a golf ball, but it's really, really complex. And this is just a diagram showing you some of the parts of the eye. And there are actually over 40 different cell types in the eye. And each of the cell types has a different function and has different nutrients that it needs to stay healthy. So in reality, we don't just need beta carotene. We don't just need the three macular carotenoids. We need a whole diversity of nutrients to keep our eyes healthy. Now, I don't want to come down with too much scientific information here, but I wanted to share this slide. I know it's a lot of information on this slide, but this is basically what I've compiled as the nutrients we need for optimal eye health. And it's a lot. There are a lot of different nutrients in here. We have vitamins, we have minerals, we have other antioxidants, we have plant compounds, bioflavonoids. These are all have been shown in scientific studies to help promote eye health, to help keep our retinal cells healthy, our lens cells healthy, our optic nerve cells healthy. So the eye, again, what I just want, I don't need for anyone to try to memorize this slide or you know think too much about it. What I want you all to realize from this slide is that the eye is complex and we need many nutrients. It's not just one or two or three we need, we need a whole range. And so in my book, Beyond Carrots, in, the cha in chapter one, I actually talk about all of these nutrients and why they're important and what, the, you know, what they do in the body, what they do in the eye. But then what I do is I go on in the rest of the book to give you all simple strategies. So how do you take all this information? Okay, there are so many nutrients. Um, there's actually over 30 nutrients. Most of them our body, bodies can't make. We need to get them from externally. Some, yes, our bodies can make, but we can enhance our endogenous project production of these nutrients. How can we eat healthy, try to get all of this range of you know 30 plus nutrients into our diet to support our eyes? Well, this is what I do in the rest of the book. I provide you with simple, simple strategies. So I'm gonna share some of them with you next. 
Um, so again, um, talking about foods for eye health. So there are over 30 nutrients. I have, out, I have in the book, I've um, uh, highlighted over 40 foods that are richest in these nutrients. And I call these foods therapeutic foods for eye health, meaning that um, they provide not just one of the 30 nutrients, they provide multiple of those nutrients all in one food. So this is just an example of some of the foods that provide multiple nutrients. But again, in my book, I do go through, you know, I go through A through Z, what all the 40 foods are that I think are the richest in these nutrients, nutrient dense foods. Um, so I'm going to just highlight, I don't, you know, I, I want to get to all my, my talk today. And I also want to do the demo. So I'm going to highlight of the, of the 40 plus foods, three uh, sample foods that you really should try to include in your diet on a daily basis to support your eye health. So therapeutic food number one, food group number one, we can call it, uh, leafy greens. So I talked about this earlier, but leafy greens will provide you with the lutein, the zeaxanthin, vitamin A, vitamin C, as well as vitamin K, and a host of other minerals, nutrients, etc. So um, try to include leafy greens in your diet. Now, um, based off of studies in eye health, we know that um, in, in order to keep our eyes healthy, we need about 6.5 milligrams of lutein a day. Now, unfortunately, the majority of people, most people on a Western diet um, are only getting about one to two milligrams of lutein per day. So there's a big gap there between what our eyes need to stay healthy and what we're actually getting from our diet. And even some people on the, the you know, what we think are probably the cleanest of diets, probably just aren't getting enough of lutein. So you really need to try to bump up your intake of these lutein-rich foods to try to strive to get to that 6.5 milligrams a day. Some people, some researchers believe that we actually need 10 milligrams a day. And other people believe that for overall health and not just eye health, but also brain health. And there are some studies looking at lutein for prostate health and breast cancer um, to fight breast cancer. Some researchers believe we need up to 20 milligrams a day of lutein in our diet. So the bottom line is most of us are deficient. So we need to try to boost up that intake of lutein as well as zeaxanthin. Zeaxanthin, we don't need as much of it. We need about one to two milligrams a day. Unfortunately, most of us are getting less than one milligram a day. So um, if you take away one thing from this talk, you need to eat more foods that are rich in lutein and zeaxanthin. Again, think about the leafy greens. Think about those orange and yellow vegetables and fruits. Okay, so now moving on, um, these are just some examples of the many different types of leafy greens that will provide you with your lutein and zeaxanthin. So um, the classic ones that we all think about, spinach, kale, collard greens, but also arugula, romaine lettuce is an excellent source of lutein and zeaxanthin, mustard greens, dandelion greens, bok choy, broccoli, and Swiss chard. So these are, again, just some of the dark green leafy vegetables that you should be including a lot of these in your, you know, a lot of it in your diet. Um, and in terms of what I tell my patients, I usually tell them to strive to get at least three cups of leafy greens per day, at least three cups. Now, hopefully most of you, if you're on a plant-based diet, which I'm assuming many of you are, you're probably already getting this, if not more, which is amazing. But a lot of my patients are not plant-based. So I really have to really um, drill this down in them is you have to get your leafy greens in and some easy ways to do it, a green smoothie. You have a green smoothie every day, uh, breakfast or brunch or lunch, whatever you prefer, get your green smoothie in because you can pack in those leafy greens easily into a green smoothie. Um, although otherwise you can make it as, as a salad or use these leafy greens in stir fries. So um, again, this is therapeutic food group number one uh, that is really, really super important for your eye health. Now, therapeutic food group number two, 
are nuts. Now, I know a lot of us love nuts of all kinds. It's a great source of, um, again, uh, vitamins like vitamin E, but also protein and healthy fats. Um, if, if I had to you know, choose of all of these nuts that I've listed here, pistachios, almonds, walnuts, brazil nuts, out of these four, which is the most, will give you the most bang for your buck? I would actually say pistachios because pistachios also, you know, that beautiful green color of pistachios actually comes from lutein and zeaxanthin. So you're not only are you getting the benefits of vitamin E and again, healthy protein and, and healthy, healthy fats, you're also getting lutein and zeaxanthin when you have pistachios. So if you're choosing nuts, try to focus on that. But other nuts are wonderful as well. Almonds, walnuts, I didn't include this on the list, but cashews, uh, Brazil nuts are great as well. Um, specifically with Brazil nuts, they provide selenium. So selenium is really important for your eye health. Um, it's really important in energy production by the eyes. The eyes are, are really um, demanding in terms of their energy needs. So selenium helps to keep your mitochondria healthy. Uh, they also, um, uh, nuts are also a great source of glutathione. So um, again, try to include nuts in your diet. And I typically recommend to my patients um, half a cup to one, um, one fourth to one half a cup daily of nuts. And you can have them raw. Um, I prefer to keep the skins on. So I know some people like to soak their nuts and like, for example, almonds remove the skins, but actually a lot of the phytonutrients are in the skin of the nut. So I would recommend keeping the skins on. Um, you can, nuts are very versatile, as many of you know. Um, you can add them to, to salads, smoothies, um, oatmeal, yogurts, again, stir fries, and use them in baking as well. So um, it's a great way to add some extra flavor in your diet. Now, therapeutic food group number three. And this is something I absolutely love, and I try to include this in my diet every single day or multiple times a day. And these are berries. So um, the beautiful color of berries uh, especially the darker berries, for example, blackberries, blueberries, depending on where you live, you may have availability for bilberries or um, there's a host of other berries out there as well. Red berries, raspberries, strawberries, goji berries, um, Inca berries, golden berries actually highlight those berries in my, in my book as well. Berries, you know, the, the pigment that provides berries their beautiful color. This pigment is called anthocyanins. And I know I'm getting a little bit technical here, a little bit scientific, but anthocyanins have been shown in multiple studies to help protect retinal cells as well as optic nerve cells. So if you have a condition, for example, like macular degeneration, you want to make sure you're getting in your diet berries with their anthocyanins to help protect your retina. If you have glaucoma, you want to help make sure you want to make sure you're getting berries in your diet because in glaucoma, what can happen is the eye pressure in many patients with glaucoma, the eye pressure is elevated, it's high. And berries, there are multiple studies that show that if you have half a cup of berries a day, it can help to lower your eye pressure by about two to three points, which is amazing that you can do this naturally through the power of food rather than to have to rely on all of these medications to lower your eye pressure. I'm not saying stop the medication. By all means, definitely work with your doctor in terms of optimizing your eye pressure. But if you want to get an extra couple of points of benefit in terms of lowering your eye pressure, include berries in your diet, specifically the darker berries, bilberries, blueberries, blackberries. Um, so, so those are the three food groups. Now, um, I mentioned anthocyanins, but berries are also a great source of vitamin C. And in terms of um, uh, their glycemic index, you know, if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic, you may be concerned about um, any blood sugar spikes with too much fruit. Well, berries have a very low glycemic index, so it's actually really a great choice 
for diabetics and pre-diabetics to include in their diet. The other great benefit of berries is that they are high in fiber. So um, I typically recommend my patients eat half a cup of berries a day and also rotate through the different colors of berries that you're including in your diet. So again, the darker berries will probably give you the biggest bang for your buck, but also include some of the red berries and maybe some yellow berries as well. Um, eat them raw, mix them into salads, add them to smoothies, salads, etc. So, um, so next, I'm going to go through. So, those were um, the, just a sampling of the therapeutic foods I highlight in my book. Again, in chapter two of my book, I go through 40 foods that are the therapeutic foods for eye health A through Z. So, I go through the entire alphabet. Um, and I highlight some of the foods that you're probably quite familiar with, but there are some in here that probably you may not be so familiar with. So please, if you're interested, take a look in chapter two of the book for the full uh, range of 40 different foods. Now, in, um, in the first chapter of the book, I'm just going back a little bit. I also give you four strategies for an eye healthy diet. Now, again, I mentioned that there are 30 nutrients. It can be a little bit overwhelming for people to think, how am I going to get these 30 nutrients in my diet? Well, if you follow these four strategies that I'm going to share with you right now, guaranteed you will be getting those 30 plus nutrients into your diet. So let's dive into that right now. What are these four simple strategies for an eye healthy diet? So number one, and I know most of you are already doing this because you're here and you're most of you are plant-based, but eat a plant-rich diet. And I say this because I say plant-rich because some of my patients are not plant-based. So I want them to be open to including more plants in their diet. So I tell them eat a plant-rich diet. So include um, all different types of plants. So veggies, focus on the vegetables, include fruits, include legumes and whole grains, nuts and seeds. So again, a whole diversity of plants. And I typically tell my patients, um, you want to strive to eat at least, at least five cups of plants a day, five cups. Now for some people, that seems like it's impossible. Again, most of these patients that I talk to are not on a plant-based diet, so they feel a little overwhelmed. So I tell them start slow, um, maybe include, you know, instead of just having a leaf of lettuce on your sandwich or your burger, maybe include a salad to go along with it. So you're getting half a cup right there, maybe one cup, and then gradually build up. So every week, you're going to increase your intake of plants by half a cup to one cup every single week. So within a month or so, you're going to get to that goal of five cups a day. Now, most of you probably, most of you already on a plant-based diet are probably eating much more than that. Some people eat nine cups a day or 12 cups a day. So what I tell them is the more, the better, but strive to have at least five cups a day of veggies and fruits and other uh, plants in your diet. Um, again, a simple way to do this, I love this, is having a green smoothie. And actually the recipe I'm gonna share with you is a, is a, is a simple uh, green smoothie recipe. And in my book, I have a couple of other sample recipes as well um, uh, for many different types of smoothies. M many of them are green smoothies. So um, the next strategy, so that was strategy number one, eat plants, eat lots of them. Strategy number two, eat the rainbow. So what I tell my patients is most people eat three meals a day, seven days a week. So that's 21 meals in a week. What I tell them is with each meal, strive to include a different color food with that meal. And if you have that diversity of colors, so you're eating not just the same green spinach every day, you're having multiple different shades of green in your diet throughout the course of the week. You're having multiple shades of yellow and orange and red 
and blues and purples and even blacks in your diet, maybe some whites as well as in, in browns as well, even though they're not part, part of the rainbow, um, have a diversity of colors in your diet and keep a color chart. Now, I know some families love to do this. They make it a, you know, a challenge within the family, like a weekly color chart, and they each you know, log in how, ma how many colors they're eating a week, but strive to include 21 different colors of food in your diet every week. Now, a lot of patients, you know, jokingly will tell me, well, I have lots of colors. You know, I have plenty of Skittles or M&Ms. And I tell them, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, get it from plants, get it from, um, from whole foods, not processed foods or candy, et cetera. So not that. Um, so uh, again, keep in mind the rule of 21, at least five cups. Now, moving on to strategy number three. Um, some of you have probably heard about this already, the SAD diet. So SAD stands for Standard American Diet. And we know that there are actually studies out there looking at eye health, looking specifically at macular degeneration, looking at what people eat and seeing what their rate is of progression of macular degeneration. So we know that people who eat a SAD diet, uh, processed foods, high sugary foods, and also foods that are rich in omega-6 fatty acids, unhealthy omega-6 fatty acids, have a higher rate of progression of macular degeneration. So again, these foods are what we consider sad foods. So it's what I'm showing here. Um, so people who are primarily on a sad diet have a higher rate of macular degeneration and potentially vision loss. So try and stay away from these types of foods. Um, now it's, you know, um, the omega question is really, um, something that um, I get a lot from my patients. Well, you know, uh, how much do I need, et cetera? Uh, should it be ALA? Can it be DHA, EPA? What I tell them is um, if you can uh, try to include EPA and DHA um, uh, in your diet or as a supplement, for example, if you're, if you're plant-based and you're maybe not getting directly EPA and, and um, DHA, maybe include an algal or algal-based um, supplement in your diet to make sure that you're getting enough omega-3s but also cut down on the omega-6s. It's a ratio, the omega-6 to three ratio. And most people most people on a Western diet will have a very high omega-6 to three ratio. Some people have a, a ratio as high as um, you know, 15 to one or 30 to one or 50 to one. So you wanna reduce that ratio down as, as much as possible. And I usually recommend to my patients to try to get that omega-6 to three ratio down to four to one if they can. Um, so it's not that you're cutting out all omega-6s. Of course, omega-6s are also in some of the, the nuts that we eat. Um, so they are part of that um, as, as fats, as part of the nuts. So you can't cut it out completely. But what you want to do is you want to try to normalize that ratio of 6 to 3 and try to strive for a lower ratio as possible. And you can actually get this tested. You can ask your doctor for an omega quant test to get this quantified and then maybe you can check it every six months or every year to make sure that your omega-6 to three ratio is low. So, um, so that was um, strategy number three. And then the last thing, um, these are just some alternatives to sad uh, types of foods, um, which I'm sure many of you are already doing. You're already eating raw, natural foods, unprocessed foods, whole grains, and natural sugars um, in your diet. So the last strategy I'm gonna mention, and this is something that really in the eye care space is cutting edge. Most people, most ophthalmologists, most optometrists are not familiar with some of these concepts, yet they are coming to the forefront. And there's a lot more research being done on this is the connection between the eye or your eyes and your gut. Now you may think, okay, what are these two, or two organs have to do with each other? How can they be connected? 
um, there is a connection what we call the eye gut axis. And again, there's a this is really cutting edge emerging research that's that's being done and and published. So the reason the 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 way in which the gut and the eyes are connected is through the gut microbiome. Now, many of you have heard of the gut microbiome. Many of you probably have uh, taken steps to uh, to um, to optimize your gut microbiome. But the gut microbiome is a collection of of trillions of organisms that live um, inside of our guts. Um, and so they help to regulate many of our processes. They help to sometimes uh, um, help to metabolize nutrients, uh, synthesize vitamins like vitamin K and B12. They are important, the gut microbiome um, uh, flora, the, the bacteria and the viruses and the fungi that live in our gut are important also for regulating our immune system. But through the gut microbiome, our immune system can get modulated. And we know that there are certain eye conditions that are more pre uh, prevalent, more predominantly seen in patients who have gut dysbiosis. And again, this is really an emerging area of research. So the four conditions that have been most researched so far, looking at the, the gut and gut dysbiosis with relation to eye disease are dry eye, macular degeneration, uveitis, which is a type of inflammation inside the eye, and glaucoma. So, um, so uh, some of these can be really very uh, serious conditions. They can even cause vision loss and even permanent vision loss. So we know that gut dysbiosis is linked to some of these conditions. So what should you be doing to um, avoid you know, gut dysbiosis and promote eye health? Well, I typically tell my patients, there's no specific organism that we can say, okay, this is the one culprit, this is the one bacteria or virus that's responsible for, all, for, you know, for these conditions. Instead, what I tell patients is, think about it, um, again, using like a, like a 30,000 foot view, try to optimize your gut health. And if you optimize your gut health, you will also be optimizing your eye health. And so how can you do that? How can you optimize your gut health? How can you support a healthy gut microbiome? Well, the best way is to include probiotics in your diet as well as prebiotics. Now, probiotics are the beneficial bacteria that live inside of us, that help work with our, our own systems, our immune system, our uh, digestive system, et cetera, to help regulate many of our processes. So you wanna promote healthy bacteria that will also help to keep out the unhealthy or pathogenic bacteria. So you can take a, a probiotic, but I always tell my patients, try to get live probiotics in your diet. Um, that's probably better suited for your body is to take a live probiotic and then also consider prebiotics. Prebiotics are the foods that healthy bacteria thrive off of. So think about, you know, for your gut microbiome, probiotics, preferably live probiotics. And yes, you can absolutely take a supplement as well, but also think about the prebiotics. So what are some probiotics? Well, basically anything fermented is a probiotic. So you could ferment your own foods at home, um, kimchi, um, some of the, the um, soy-based products are fermented. Uh, um, so you can include that. Um, I particularly, I found my new favorite drink, which is apple cider vinegar, um, uh, flavored apple cider vinegar. So that's how I get my probiotics. Um, I used to drink a lot of kombucha before, and that's a great source as well. So think about fermented foods, um, cultured yogurts, uh, soy yogurt, coconut yogurt, etc. cetera. Um, and then in terms of prebiotics, this is just a, a sampling of how many different types of prebiotics there are. And prebiotics, um, basically, you want to include these um, in your diet 
if you can't do it every day, maybe two or three times a week, that's what I typically tell my patients, but you'll see, you notice that some of the foods I mentioned before are great prebiotics as well. For example, nuts, almonds are great prebiotics. You know, your bacteria will thrive off of some of these foods. Um, and then here we see some of the, the greens as well. Um, there's some asparagus, dandelion greens, um, artichoke, even um, uh, wheatgrass. Uh, there's so many different types of prebiotics you can include in your diet, sprouts. Um, so, uh, so definitely think about this, not just probiotics, but prebiotics in your diet. Um, again, you can take a supplement. It's always best to get it the way nature intended. So to sum up with my talk here, I know we covered a lot of information and I would love to open it up to questions in a few minutes. But um, again, don't think about, when you think about eye health, don't just think about a single food or a single nutrient. You have to think about a range of nutrients to support your eyes. And again, at least 30 different nutrients. There are many foods that can provide you with these nutrients. I highlighted three today um, in the short time that we've had together. So leafy greens, nuts, and colorful berries. And then finally, the four strategies for an eye-healthy diet. Keep it plant-rich. Encourage a plant-rich diet for patients or your family members, friends who are not plant-based. Um, keep to the rule of 21 colors a week. Avoid sad foods and also support your gut microbiome with probiotics and prebiotics. Now, um, uh, this, if anyone's interested in my book, it is available on Amazon. Um, you can scan the QR code here. And so my book, again, is called Beyond Carrots. And actually, I'm very, very excited. So this book came out earlier this year in April. And um, I've been getting a lot of great feedback from patients as well as my colleagues um, who've read the book, who've implemented a lot of the strategies. I have some recipes in the book, but I actually am very, very excited to announce that I'm actually launching, launching a cookbook as well. So this is the name of my cookbook. It's called Dr. Ronnie's Visionary Kitchen. And this is going to be coming out, I really, really hope by Monday, which is Cyber Monday. And it will also be available on Amazon. So you can look for it. If you're looking for Beyond Carrots, probably by Monday, you'll be able to see um, my cookbook as well, as well, again, Dr. Ronnie's Visionary Kitchen. Um, and this... Um, I actually have two versions of the cookbook. I have a plant-based version, and I also have a version that's not plant-based. So um, it does make a great gift for anybody. If you're looking to give a gift to your family, friends, um, you, can, um, you can perhaps um, consider sharing this with them. So with that, I'm going to um, open it up to any questions. Um, and if you did want to connect with me also, if you have specific questions, um, you know, maybe you're watching this as the replay, you can email me. Uh, my email is right there, info at rudranibanikmd.com is my full name and my website. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of um, sharing of eye health tips on Instagram. I also talk a lot about migraine on Instagram because migraine is a particular interest of mine. Um, I do YouTube videos and I have some Facebook groups. So there's lots of different ways to connect with me, whatever platform um, you prefer. So thank you so much. Oh, wow. That was great. You know, it's, it's so interesting. It seems like the foods that are just good for our gut health, for our overall health are good for eyes. So eat the rainbow, like you say. Yes. And, and what I tell my patients is when you're eating for your eyes, you're actually supporting every aspect of your body. You're supporting your brain health. You're supporting your heart health. You're supporting your immune system. You're supporting your gut. So it's not just you're, you're focusing on one, pun intended, focusing on one, in, one organ. You're actually thinking you're actually supporting the health of your whole body. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. I didn't know you had another book coming out. That's fantastic. If you get that link, I can add it to the show notes because I have the link to your current book in the show notes as well as I've been putting it in the chat. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I will send that to you. Right. Thank you. Did you want to stop your screen share and answer some questions or did you want to make your delicious recipe? 
Um, maybe we can answer a couple of questions and then sure. we can make the rest. Well, of we, we, have, we have quite a few that appear during the chat live, but let's go to the ones that were submitted first, if you don't mind. And the first one is from Julie. Can mild cataracts be reversed? And if so, what do you recommend to do or at least help them not get worse? That's a great question. It's something I also oftentimes hear from patients and also on social media. Can you reverse cataracts? Well, at this point in time, unfortunately, the answer is no. If you have an early cataract that's developing, you can't make it go away, go back to being clear and transparent. However, you can prevent progression. And this is really, really important. There are, stu there are studies that show that people who eat at least two to three servings of fruits and veggies a day can have delayed cataract progression. So you wanna make sure that you're getting the nutrients from those fruits, fruits and veggies that are important for cataracts or fighting cataracts, vitamin C, vitamin E, and vitamin A. Those are really the three antioxidants that are most studied for cataract prevention. The other thing that is really, really important for cataract prevention is UV protection. I mentioned earlier about how the macular carotenoids can be our internal blockers, but despite that, I still tell my patients, if you wanna prevent a cataract from progressing, make sure that you're using UV, 100% UV blocking sunglasses, or um, on this little sticker on the sunglasses, it may say UV 400, which is equivalent to 100% UVA, UVB blocking. Or if you don't like to wear sunglasses, the other thing you can do is you can wear a wide hat. So like a cap, like what you're wearing, Chef AJ, you know, a baseball cap with a wide brim to protect your eyes from those really, really powerful UV rays. Yeah, that that's, can they be, do you think that part of it is hereditary or is it just aging or? There are so many factors. Um, yes, it is in part hereditary. Simply, um, you know, many patients do have family members who've had cataracts before, but age, is, age plays a role, diabetes plays a role, exposure to radiation plays a role, trauma. So there are many other factors aside from genetics. And the other thing is, even children can get cataracts. You know, people think of cataracts as, as you know, in, uh, for a disease that happens later on in life, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. But it can actually even happen in, in, in some individuals, individuals in young adulthood or even in childhood. So it's not just age that's a factor. Um, I'll share with you one other interesting thing since we're talking about cataracts. There was a study looking at, there's a compound called linosterol, which is a type of uh, cholesterol steroid compound. And um, some researchers found that linosterol drops could reverse cataracts in animals, particularly in dogs and pigs. But when they tried to do the same study in humans, it didn't work. So there is something else that is different about our physiology that doesn't allow us to reverse the cataract. But I do think that probably in the next 10 years or so, there will be something that we can use to make our cataracts dissolve and to go away. So stay hopeful on that one. Yeah. And for those of us that have them, may we outlive them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just because you have a cataract does not mean you have to rush into doing anything about it. Um, it's only if it really impacts your daily life. If you can't do things you like to do, like read or drive, if you can't do those activities, maybe then you can talk to your eye doctor about doing cataract surgery. But the vast majority of people, they have mild cataracts and they still do everything they need to do. So. Right. So this is an actual question about the surgery from Sue. And she said, can you please share what exactly happens when you do cataract surgery? Because I'm terrified to have it done and both of my eyes may need it. I'm worried about the general anesthesia as I get violently nauseous from it. And I'm worried about how painful it is and concerned about how my vision will be afterwards as I've worn glasses since I was four years old with stigmatism. 
Uh, well, Sue, I want to reassure you that cataract surgery is extremely safe. And it's probably the most common elective procedure performed in the world in terms of you know, volume. So many people have cataract surgery every year. Probably millions of people are getting cataract surgery every year. And our technology has advanced to the point where not only is it safe, but technically it's become really just so high tech that the cataract can be taken out in minutes. So less than 10 minutes, you can get your cataracts taken out. Um, and in terms of pain, the majority of patients actually have it done under local anesthesia. So not general, very few people actually need general anesthesia. Most people have a little bit of sedation through an IV. So they're awake during the surgery. They're a little bit, you know, um, kind of subdued, but they're awake. They can talk to their doctor. Um, they're not completely out. And also your doctor will use drops to numb your eyes. So really it should be a completely painless procedure. Um, and again, the outcomes are really, really amazing with the technology that we have. There are different types of lenses that can be used. We call them premium lenses. They can take care of astigmatism. They can take care of high myopia. They can take care of so many issues that, um, that many people have. And uh, many people after cataract surgery will, will realize that they're less reliant on their glasses or contacts after surgery. And some, some people don't even need glasses or, cat or contacts after cataract surgery. So um, talk to your doctor about the options because it really is something that can improve your quality of life so much if you need it, only if you need it. But it, does it have to be done with general anesthesia? No, no, honestly, the, the only patients that, that I typically do under general anesthesia are people who, you know, perhaps um, may move a lot. So for example, if somebody has a tremor, they have Parkinson's disease, or if it's a young person, a child, and obviously that, that person would have to be under general anesthesia. Um, so again, the vast majority, I would say 98% of cases of cataract surgery are done under local and topical anesthesia, meaning drops, just eye drops to numb the eye. So you're awake? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, that's so, that's so that. And I'll tell you another reason why I prefer that is because oftentimes when people, you know, let's say the anesthesiologist gives them some sedation and then they fall asleep, then they start snoring. And that is not a good thing when you're having eye surgery is when your eye doctor is trying to follow a moving target when someone's snoring uh, and their head is moving up and down. So it's probably best for patients not to be so deeply sedated that they're going to fall asleep. Wow. So it really doesn't hurt. No. No, the vast majority of people feel nothing. Wow, that's so, good yeah. to know. I mean, I, I like a colonoscopy, like you go, you, you have that sedation, you're in that nice um, state of mind. And before you know it, it's over. And wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, so this is from Gina. And she said, I'm 55 and started wearing glasses at 45. I'd love to lose the glasses. If I commit to a perfect Chef AJ type diet, would that be possible? So that's a little bit of a tricky question because um, it all depends on, uh, you know, your power, what your needs are. Do you spend most of your world, you know, up close? Are you on a device? Are you reading? Or are you looking at distance most of the time? So unfortunately, I can't give specifics about that unless I had more information. What I will tell you is that the diet, the type of diet that I recommend, and also I'm sure that Chef AJ agrees with me, this type of diet is to prevent disease. So let's say there's macular degeneration that runs in your family. If you try to follow this type of a diet, you will reduce your risk of macular degeneration by 41%, which is huge, huge, more than taking a supplement, which may only reduce your risk by about 25%. So by diet alone, you can have a significant impact of the outcome of your vision or your 
you know, your fu the future of your vision in the years and decades ahead. Um, diet can help also with glaucoma, with cataracts, with dry eye. There are so many eye conditions that diet can help with. There's no guarantee, uh, but, um, but just think of it as you're investing in your future by having this type of a diet. Yeah, great. Thank you. And this is from Sue. She says, I have macular degeneration. It's been kept to a minimum due to my taking daily or taking a, a reds mm -hmm. and diet. My question is, can I use a UV free light lamp for SAD, I guess, seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, so I, there really hasn't been much um, research that I'm aware of using um, those types of lights and their impact on eye health. What I will tell you is that um, there is work being done on red light and infrared light for eye health. So macular talking about macular degeneration again, macular dege de degeneration and glaucoma are being studied um, with respect to exposure to red and, UV and infrared light uh, for two to three minutes several times a week. So again, I can't really speak to the, the blue lights that are used typically for seasonal affective disorder. What I would say is if you're using it, um, just try to protect your eyes because some of those wavelengths may be powerful. They can penetrate through your eyes. They can reach your retina and potentially theoretically um, cause oxidative stress in the retina. So what I would say is if you're using that light for seasonal affective disorder, do it with your eyes closed. Do it with your eyes closed so that way you're protecting your eyes, but you're getting the benefits through your skin. Great. Thank you. And this is from Ellen. She said, can you explain anti-vascular endothelial growth factor injections? I know people who get eyeball injections for diabetes and macular degeneration. The retina doctor's waiting rooms are packed with patients waiting for eyeball injections who return for more every six weeks. Does it hurt to yes. get a, an injection in your eyeball? Uh, I can't lie to you. It's it's uh, it's not the most comfortable thing from what my patients have told me. So um, I mentioned earlier, cataracts are probably the most common elective procedure. But when you think about eye injections in the office, that is the number one procedure done in the world. Any kind of medical procedure, eye injections for macular degeneration and diabetic retinopathy, the number one procedure done. So what's being done here? So basically, there is bleeding in the back of the eye. Uh, whether it's from macular degeneration or diabetes, there's bleeding in the back of the eye. And if the bleeding happens in the macula, again, the macula is responsible for 20-20 vision. If there's blood in the macula, it causes loss of vision, distortion of vision, or a big dark spot or a gray spot where people can't see through that spot. And so what these injections do is they're called anti-VEGF, vascular endothelial growth factor drugs. And what they do is they target those blood vessels that are leaking blood and fluid and proteins and lipids. And so they target those blood vessels and they get them to shrink. So the way I like to think about this is basically, you know, we've, we've all probably heard about leaky gut syndrome. Um, diabetic retinopathy and macular degeneration are types of leaky eye syndromes. And these anti-VEGF injections that people get in their eyes are meant to stop the leakiness. But the better way to do it, I think, is to use your diet, have lots of anti um, uh, inflammatory nutrients in your diet, uh, foods, spices, omega-3s, have lots of that in your diet. Also, there are some other um, uh, what we call bioflavonoids, which are plant-based compounds that also may help to stabilize blood vessels. Um, there are compounds like apigenin and hesperidin, which are again, plant-based compounds. Um, there's also something, uh, seaweed extract, 
that can, has also been shown to help fight those blood vessels to get them to shrink. So you can, if your doctor says you need the injections, yes, you need the injections, but I would also supplement that with your diet and perhaps supplements that you're including in your diet to help stop those leaky blood vessels in the back of the eye. I hope Great. that answers your question. Thank you. Oops, I got a super chat. Thank you, Angela. And I also got your beautiful holiday card. Thank you. Now, this is from Joanne. I have wet macular degeneration. Maybe you can just say how it's different from maybe there's a dry wet macular degeneration. Right. And I'm currently having eye injections that we just talked about. I often read that omega-3 from fish is very important for eyes and also eggs, but I'm currently vegan. So is there anything a vegan can do for that? Yeah, so um, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Omega-3s um, are so important for eye health. Um, they're actually, in terms of structural composition of the retina, um, DHA is the highest, um, the highest concentration of DHA in the body is actually in our eyes, in the retina. So we need DHA for healthy eyesight. Um, it's also been shown to help fight macular degeneration in, in several studies. Um, and also help fight dry eyes. So we absolutely need the omega-3s, in particular DHA, but also EPA and ALA. So if you are vegan, what I would suggest is try to include lots of seeds in your diet, and the body can convert a portion of the ALA from seeds like hemp, hemp seeds, chia seeds, flax seeds into DHA and EPA. But also if you have uh, wet macular degeneration, I typically tell my patients, um, now again, I, I can't um, give very specific personal medical advice because I don't know specifically your, your condition. But when I tell my patients uh, what to do for wet macular degeneration, taking a, um, an omega-3 supplement is important. So you can take an algal-based omega-3 supplement that is um, great for vegans um, to get their DHA. But keep the ALAs in your diet. Make sure you're getting enough of those and include the supplement on top of that. Great. Thank you. Uh, this question is from Nancy. What causes ocular migraines and what can one do about it? Oh, this is, uh, this is one of my favorites because um, I take care of a lot of patients with migraine. I also have migraine myself. So I know exactly what my patients go through with their symptoms. And one thing I'll tell you is ocular migraine is a commonly used term. It's actually a misnomer. So it's not really an ocular migraine. It's actually coming from the brain. You know, when, what, what happens is the symptom is people start seeing uh, a blurry spot in their vision and then it starts to shimmer and almost like zigzags. If, I don't, have you ever had one, Chef AJ, uh, a migraine uh, aura? I, I used to have them, and um, but mine was caused by chocolate for some reason. When I stopped eating oh. chocolate, I stopped getting migraines. Or maybe it wasn't chocolate per se. It was something in the chocolate. Something in the chocolate, yeah. There people, different people can have different triggers. So basically, it's where you see a visual disturbance. And so you think it's your eye. It's not your eyes, actually your brain. It's coming from the vision center in the back of the brain. So again, it's a dark spot and it, and it starts to get bigger. It starts to shimmer. It almost looks like a half, like a semicircle, like a C-shape. And then it gets bigger. It takes up half of your vision. It's bigger, bigger, bigger. And then eventually it disappears. And it's actually in both eyes. It's not just one side, uh, one eye. It's both eyes at the same time because it's coming from the brain. So what's happening here? Why does this happen? Why do people get this type of migraine aura? Well, it's because usually there's some trigger, whether it be dehydration or stress or caffeine, or maybe it's an ingredient in food. Some people are very sensitive to MSG or tyramine-rich foods, and something is in their body is triggering the blood vessels in their brain. Their blood vessels in the vision center constrict. They go into spasm. And when they go into spasm, that part of the brain is not getting enough oxygen flow. And they, people start to see this visual disturbance. 
And then what happens is after the initial spasm, it usually re uh, relaxes in about 15 to 30 minutes. The blood vessel not only goes back to normal, but usually it dilates. And when the blood vessel dilates, that's when people get the headache. So it's a two-part um, process here. First is the blood vessel constriction that causes the aura, the visual disturbance that people see, what many people call ocular migraine, yet it's not an ocular migraine. And then secondly, many people get the headache afterwards. Now, how can you prevent it from happening? Number one is stay hydrated. And uh, especially if you're doing a workout, a lot of people will get these visual disturbances when they're doing a heavy, you know, hit workout, they're really stressed, a strenuous workout. So not only are they dehydrated, they're also de devoid of certain electrolytes. So make sure you're having enough electrolytes. The other thing that really helps um, to avoid to pre prevent these from happening is, um, is uh, magnesium. So I love magnesium. Uh, you can have magnesium rich foods in your diet regularly, or maybe take a magnesium supplement, but that also helps to stabilize blood vessels. So you don't get that constriction and the dilation of the blood vessels that leads to migraine. So keep that in mind. Stress is also a major thing. So uh, if you're prone to these, make sure you have some way to try to modulate your stress. Um, you know, if you feel like your body's getting really worked up and amped up and you feel like you may be having one soon, try to work on some stress reduction techniques, maybe some meditative breathing, take a walk, listen to some music, whatever you need to do to calm down your stress levels. Do you think that I, I, I've had guests on the show who helps people not, you know, with eye exercises and stuff, they can get rid of glasses. Can, can that really be, I mean, like, can you really go from wearing glasses, especially if you have a strong prescription to not wearing glasses, working with um, one? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you my, um, my experience. So I had a very open mind when I heard about these eye exercises. Um, they were initially introduced by a doctor. His name is William Bates, MD. He's an, he was an ophthalmologist. He actually worked at the hospital that I work at 70 years ago. So he wrote this book called The Bates Method. And in The Bates Method, he described these exercises that would help people reduce their myopia, reduce their dependence on distance glasses. And he had these amazing results. And he actually started you know, going into schools and teaching kids how to do these exercises. Unfortunately, what happened was that he had great results. He never published any of them, first of all, but he had great results he described in his book. Um, he never published it in like a medical journal. But when people, other researchers tried to reproduce his results, they were not able to do that. So he had his results, but nobody else could corroborate that these eye exercises really worked. But yet, I had a really open mind about this when I you know, started to learn about integrative and functional medicine. So I got his book. I have myopia myself. I'm a minus... Um, 450 and a minus 250. And so I was like, okay, let me see if these exercises are going to help me. I tried doing them. I did them for about a couple of months, like two or three months. They didn't help me. And so that was my personal experience. And knowing the physiology of the eye, what Dr. Bates suggested is happening with these exercises really can't happen. So what I would say is rather than to do the exercises and to try to get rid of your glasses, rather that what I would suggest is you go to your eye doctor and you ask them for a very specific type of test called a cycloplegic refraction. And if you get that refraction, refraction is when they check, you know, is it better one or better two? When they do that test to check your glasses prescription, cycloplegic means they put drops in your eye to uncover your true prescription. And that will tell you your true prescription. And in many cases, people are given higher prescriptions than they really need. And if you find out your true prescription, you can go down on your prescription 
And for some people, it could be like significant reduction in their number, in their power, which they didn't know. Maybe they'd been using these glasses for years that, you know, they were overcorrected. And when they get the cycloplegic refraction, they feel like their eyes are relaxed, they're seeing better, and it's just overall a better option for them. And I'll tell you, so I was over minus for years. So initially, my power was minus five and a minus three. But then I got the cycloplegic refraction done. Actually, I had it done again recently. And my power went down from a minus five to a minus 350. So even less than the 450 I was wearing for a while. It went down to a minus 350 and minus 175. So I was, and this is kind of embarrassing to say this, I didn't get a cycloplegic refraction, even though I'm an eye doctor, I should have gone and gotten this done years ago when I was in my 20s or 30s. I didn't get it done. But once I got it done, I realized, oh my goodness, I didn't really need this super high prescription. And I was able to reduce my power that way. So ask your doctor for that. It's really, really important. Most doctors won't do that. You need to ask for it by name, cycloplegic refraction. Interesting. Thank you. Mona says, what is the best leafy green to have? If I had to pick one, I would say kale. Kale is, in terms of its nutrient composition, not just lutein, zeaxanthin rich, it has tons of lutein, zeaxanthin. It also provides you vitamin C. It's a great source of vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin K, and lots of minerals. So I would take kale. Thanks. And Steph says, does it make any difference if in nutrients or in general, if the leafy greens are consumed raw or cooked? So um, I actually tell my patients to mix it up. So sometimes have it raw and sometimes have it cooked. Um, and what I would say is just if you're cooking it, don't overcook it. Don't leach out all the vitamins and nutrients that, that are in the food. So cook it just barely, um, you know, just as it starts to wilt and then stop because then it's probably over, you know, it's losing its nutritional value. Great. Thank you. And guys, if you're watching on Facebook, I can't see your posts. You have to watch on YouTube to be able to ask questions because that's where the chat is. Tammy says, my mother had low pressure glaucoma. What should I watch for and do to prevent this? Yeah, so low pressure glaucoma is, I mentioned glaucoma earlier, is usually associated with high eye pressures. Um, normal eye pressure, by the way, is between 10 and 21. So there are people who have pressures that are in the normal range, but they still have damage to their optic nerves. And there are a couple of things that we always look for when people have low pressure glaucoma. And one thing is sleep apnea. So we know that people who have undiagnosed sleep apnea are much likely to have damage to their optic nerves even with normal eye pressures. So if you have low tension glaucoma, low pressure glaucoma, maybe you snore a little bit, please, please, please go get a sleep study done, a formal sleep study, because it may, you know, it may mean the difference between having normal vision and having significant vision loss and potentially even vision impairment and blindness is to get that sleep apnea diagnosed and treated. Um, other things that can contribute to low pressure glaucoma are low blood pressure. So um, blood, you know, when people have low blood pressure, normally we think it's a good thing for people to have low blood pressure, but sometimes the blood pressure may be so low that your eye and your brain and your whole body is just not getting enough oxygen flow, particularly at night, because at night is when our blood pressure normally goes, has a little dip in it anyway. So you wanna maintain your blood volume. So you wanna have lots of fluids and also the electrolytes are important. So if you have low tension glaucoma, those are my two tips. The other things I would recommend are if you have low tension glaucoma or actually any kind of glaucoma, I know lots of people love to do yoga, myself included, I would stay away from head down positions. Because what's happening is when you're in a head down position, your pressure inside your brain goes up, your eye pressure goes up. So stay away from 
prolonged head down position. So if you're doing downward dog, just keep it to a few seconds. If you're doing headstands, don't do it for minutes on end. Um, that is a no-no if you have glaucoma or you're predisposed to glaucoma. The other thing, a lot of people, I, I, not a lot of people, but I do know some people do anti-gravity machines. They have those anti-gravity machines at home where they're basically you know, lying with their head down, their legs up for long periods of time. If you're, if you're vulnerable to glaucoma, please stay away from those anti-gravity machines. And for people who wear neckties, there are also, there's really an interesting study done that shows that people who wear neckties may be more predisposed to low tension glaucoma. So loosen up that necktie or maybe open up your, your collar button and because um, and that, that pressure around your neck may increase the blood pressure inside your brain, which can then increase the eye pressure as well. So be mindful of all of those things when you're thinking about managing glaucoma using a lifestyle perspective. Thank you. This is a question from Susan watching live. Are you familiar with Sinop... Cineparia maritima eye drops to clear cataracts. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that particular brand. I do know that there is a brand called, um, I believe it's See Clearly. It's called CanSee. CanSee is the brand um, available that in the U.S. that a lot of people I know use for cataracts. And basically it contains um, high levels of vitamin C and uh, some um, homeopathic uh, medications as well. So uh, again, in my experience, I have not, I have, I've had plenty of patients who've tried it and I take, I examine them and I take a look at them, their cataracts, and basically the cataract is the same. Um, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily able to reverse it. Maybe it's preventing progression. I'm not sure. But um, the other thing I would just be uh, cautious of is that recently, I don't know if you've heard on the news, Chef AJ, but there's been a lot of recalls by the FDA for eye drops. Um, recently, I think two weeks ago, there were 27 different eye drops that were recalled. Most of these were um, uh, brand names like uh, CVS, Target, Walgreens. And um, a lot of these were manufactured in facilities that were not sterile. So these drops are contaminated. And people have been having developing eye infections from using contaminated drops. There are even two cases reported where people use contaminated drops. It got into their bloodstream and they actually died from infection because the infection oh. got into their bloodstream. So what I would say is whatever drop you're getting, make sure it's from a trusted source. Make sure it's coming from a certified facility where they have really, they're really, really clear on their sterility protocols. Um, I typically recommend to my patients, a lot of patients use drops for dry eye. Typically, typically go with the big manufacturers. Um, for example, um, Refresh or Sustain or uh, Genteel, these are some of the big names in eye drops, and you can uh, hopefully be rest assured that these manufacturers are doing quality control along the way, and they're maintaining sterile conditions. So please, please, please stay away from generic eye drops. And um, there was actually some facilities abroad that were that were implicated in a lot of these recalls. So you can find it all. There's it's all on the FDA website, which of the specific drops were recalled. But if you wow. have it in your shelf, throw it out. Don't even take that risk of putting it in your eyes. Don't you know, bother checking the lot number. I would just say throw it out and buy a brand that's reputable. Um, like again, refresh, sustain, or genteel. Wow, thank you. Um, Karen is asking, can you talk about prostaglandin analogs in dry eye? I just finished my second round of Oxervate for my eye nerves for dry eye. Maybe just talk about dry eye in general, what causes it, what people can do, because we do have a few questions about people asking what they can do about it. 
Sure. So dry eyes basically are, are um, so the structures around our eyes. We have glands around our eyes that produce tears and they produce oils that help the tears you know, stay put so they don't evaporate. And what happens in dry eye, the majority of people with dry eye, they produce enough tears, but the tears evaporate too quickly. So that oily layer on the surface of the tears is not sufficient to keep the tears in place. And then they have symptoms like uh, redness, burning, uh, blurry vision, um, sometimes like a, a, a grainy sensation, like they feel like there's sand in their eyes or gravel in their eyes. These are all symptoms of dry eye. Sometimes it can be really severe. Sometimes your eyes, you know, people with dry eye, their eyes can be really red. Their lids can get really, really inflamed or puffy, and they just feel so uncomfortable. And so, um, you know, the mainstay of dry eye therapy is to promote healthy oil production. Yes, you can put in drops to, re, you know, replenish the tears that are evaporating, but you want to promote healthy oil production. And there's two ways you can do that. Number one, omega-3s, but also omega-6s. So I, not all omega-6s are bad. There are omega-6s called gamma GLA, gamma linolenic acid. And these are actually anti-inflammatory omega-6s. So um, you can't really get them much from foods, but you can get them as a supplement. So if you suffer from severe dry eye, you may want to take an omega supplement that has three and six. And now there's some emerging evidence that seven, omega-7 and omega-9 may be important as well. So what I tell my patients is get a complete omega supplement if you have severe dry eye. Three, six, seven, and nine. The second thing you do to help promote your oil, your oil glands to stay healthy and, and secrete healthy oils is to use hot compresses. This is so, so important. A simple thing like doing a daily eye hygiene regimen with a hot compress. Don't just take a washcloth and run it under hot water and put it on your eyes. And don't just take like a Q-tip or cotton swab and put it on your eyes. That is not going to retain the heat long enough. You want to take a, an actual eye powder mask that's formulated with beads inside. So the beads retain the heat. So you put it, you heat it up. Um, usually it's in a microwave, you heat it up for about 10, 15 seconds. That pad, that mask stays heated for a very long period of time, about 10 minutes or so. You put that on your eyes and you can do it once a day, maybe just at bedtime. You can do it twice a day, depending on how you feel. But with a combination of an omega supplement, and of course, include the omegas in your diet, but taking in a complete omega supplement and doing the hot compress on a regular basis will help the majority of people with dry eye. Now, some people have to go on medications, prescription medications for more severe dry eye. There's a lot of um, uh, anti-inflammatory drops that are prescribed that can be used like Restasis or Zydra. And Oxervate is actually really um, reserved for third tier, like really very, very severe dry eye where the corneal nerves are damaged. Maybe there's been an infection that damages the nerves, or maybe there's some kind of nervous system disorder like dysautonomia that damages the nerves, then they can get a prescription for Oxervate, which is again, really a high level treatment for dry eye. Most people don't need to have something that that um, aggressive for their dry eye, but some people, again, depending on the etiology, may need to have that. You know, I I, I love this show, not, not just because it's my show, but I, I no matter what the guests or the topic, I, I, I learn so much, but I always learn one thing that blows my mind. And what you just told me, because I actually have dry eye and I'm doing the compresses completely wrong because he didn't like, oh. say, so I've been taking the washcloth and it feels good for the minute. But what you're talking about, and I just Googled it on Amazon, they're like $15. That's going to just change my life. Yeah. Just that they're, one thing. They're very inexpensive. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at your local CVS or Walgreens, uh, Target. Um, it's very simple. Um, and Make it, you know, you're, you brush your teeth at night, you do your, you know, skincare routine, make it part of your routine. 
and you'll see the benefits. That Super is simple. Awesome. The My other thing is, thank you. <laughs> since we're talking about hot compresses, um, a lot of people get styes. And the reason people get styes is because those glands on the on the eyelids, just basically at the base of the eyelashes, get plugged up with oils, and then they get infected, and then that leads to a sty. So if you keep your oils flowing, you keep those pores open, those glands open using the hot compresses, you can prevent styes. Wow, amazing. Thank you. Uh, Sandy's saying, in addition to dry eye, I also have blepharitis. What causes that and what can be done? So blepharitis is almost like having dandruff. Um, not your scalp, but your eyelid. So, so like uh, the base of where your eyes come out, um, that um, that skin can get really flaky and it can get really irritated. And um, what I'm going to share with you, this may not be the most, you know, may not be something people want to hear. But many people who have blepharitis actually have a mite infection, mites on the eyelashes, and these are called demodex mites. And these microscopic mites. They burrow into the glands, they burrow into the lashes, and they cause inflammation that causes flaking and scaling, et cetera. So if you think you may have a demodex infection, you can go see your eye doctor and they can look, on, look at you under the microscope and see if you may have demodex because it looks a certain way. Um, there's actually a new medication on the market that can treat demodex. Um, Zydermi, Zyderm V is actually what it's called. And you use it for about um, four to six weeks and it can help get rid of that mite infection. The other thing I love for blepharitis is essential oils, particularly tea tree oil. So um, I was talking in my talk earlier, I was talking about the gut microbiome. We actually have an ocular surface microbiome. There's actually organisms that live on the surface of our eye that help keep our eyes healthy. And so sometimes that just that balance gets, you know, off a little bit. So we have organisms there that shouldn't be there. Tea tree oil can help restore the health of the ocular surface microbiome. So you don't want to just take tea tree oil and all, you know, just go rub it all over your eyes. That will be too, too potent. So you really want to dilute it. So less than 5% tea tree oil solution, or you can get these wipes, these pre-medicated wipes that will have tea tree oil in it. So if you're having blepharitis, consider doing that. Um, I can, I can share this with you. It's called Clyrodex. Um, that's the brand name and you can get it on Amazon. Um, uh, but they're, they're tea tree oil infused wipes or even like a cleanser. And so you know that it's pH balanced to your eye. You know that the concentration isn't too high and it really can make a big difference in helping with your blepharitis. Say the name again. I'm going to write that down. Clyrodex, C-L-I-R-A-D-E-X. Thank you so much. Wow, you really do you see patients in person as your practice open? I'm guessing really not virtually so much, but I do. I do. Um, I've had a lot of projects going on. So I, I see patients um, not as much as I used to, but I definitely I see patients in person. If, if you're in New York, someone's listening, they're in New York um, and you want to come see me, please give my office a call. Um, and I do also do, um, I mean, we were talking about telemedicine earlier and how hard it is for eye health. Uh, what I also do is I do nutritional telemedicine consults. So let's say you 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 know you have a family history of macular degeneration or glaucoma, and you really want to try to optimize everything you can do from a nutrition standpoint, from a lifestyle standpoint, to minimize your risk of losing vision, losing um, going blind. Um, I do do telemedicine consults where I look at all the records your eye doctor has has compiled. So like if you've been seeing your eye doctor for the past couple of years, you send in your records. I can review all of that. And then I can go based off of what they said. And then I can make very, very personalized recommendations for you for your eye health. Oh, that's good to know. That's another you, option. Because everything you gave me, I put in the show notes. Did you include that? 
Um, I don't know, but I will send that over to you. Definitely add that. Thank you. Elizabeth says, what do you know about CRVO disease? Yes. CRVO stands for central retinal vein occlusion. And basically it is a type of stroke in the back of the eye. Um, there are different types of strokes that can happen, not a brain stroke, but an eye stroke. Um, we can get strokes to our retina, we can get strokes to our optic nerve. So CRVO is where the major blood vessel that drains blood from your retina is occluded and people lose a significant amount of vision. Usually it's sudden onset, it happens like that. People wake up, they've noticed that, oh, my vision's really, really blurry and it's not just you know dry eyes, You know they wash their eyes out and their vision doesn't clear up. That could be a central retinal vein occlusion. It's usually painless. The only way to get a diagnosis is you have to go see your eye doctor so they can dilate your eyes and take a look in the back. So if you suspect you have a CRVO, don't wait. Immediately go to see your eye doctor and get it checked out, preferably a retina specialist if you can get in to see one. And it's not. usually caused by high blood pressure, uh, blood pressure that's not controlled. Sometimes it's caused by clotting disorders. Like if some people have a tendency to clot, for example, if they've had clots in their legs or in their lungs, then they may also be at risk for clots in their eye. And some people with autoimmune diseases, like for example, lupus or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, they may be at risk for um, CRVO as well. It's pretty rare. I don't want to scare anybody that, you know, this is something you're going to wake up with, you know, later on this week, but it's pretty rare. But if you suspect something's not right, please go get it checked out. Don't wait. Mm. You know, I always wondered this because I, like I said, I have worn glasses since I was seven. You know, when they do that thing, you know, better or worse, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do they know you're not lying? Like, not that I would, but I always thought like, like, how do they know? Like, you know, you know. There's actually a way. Um, so we use a, a little handheld device called a retinoscope. And all we have to do is we put somebody in the machine, you know, they, they have the, the um, all the lenses in front of them. And we look through a very small aperture and we can actually figure out their power without ha their having to tell us anything. So it's well, all that's good because what if yeah. somebody's like nonverbal or something? I mean, like, I guess, how would you know they needed glasses? But I just, yeah. I was children. So we use this for children all the time because, you know, kids, they either, they, they can't articulate what's going on. They're nonverbal. It's too early or they're not sure. We use our little device. It's called a retinoscope. And it's really like magic. Like we can really figure out with a lot of precision exactly what their prescription is. is and what so we do is we put that prescription in the machine. We use the device, put the prescription in the machine, and then we tweak it. So we ask the patient, is it better one or two? So that is really the final stage of a refraction to get the patient's input into whether they're comfortable with those glasses or not. That is so interesting because when other, you know, sometimes they're like, I can't even tell they're like so close. Like, I don't know. They're both really yeah. good. And just, you know, just be honest, just say, I don't really see a difference. It looks the same to me. Cause that else, that information is also helpful to your eye doctor. So don't be feel pressured. Like, Oh my goodness, I should be seeing a difference. I don't see a difference. It's okay. You know, sometimes you may not see a difference when you're yeah. given two options. Such a hard test. Um, Pam would like to know how much should we reduce screen time for, on our phones and on our computer? Wow. Wow. <laughs> that is, it's really hard to give a, um, a number because everyone has different needs and different, you know, reasons why they use their screens. I'll tell you that the average U.S. adult spends over 10 hours a day on a screen, over 10 hours or some wow. kind of device, which yeah. is a lot of screen time. So what I would say is, um, it may be hard to cut down total screen time. You know, let's say you're working and you know, your work is on a screen eight hours a day, and then you're using a screen to, you know, to connect with friends and family, to check your emails. So you're using it for personal reasons. It quickly adds up to 10 hours or even more a day. 
it's really hard to cut down absolutely on screen time. The better thing to do is to take frequent breaks. So if your eyes are you know, constantly open, you're looking at a screen, you're simply not blinking enough. Normally we blink about 10 to 15, sorry, 15 to 20 times a minute, normally without looking at a screen. Normally we blink 15 to 20 times a minute. When we're looking at a screen, we're only blinking about four or five times a minute. So our eyes are gonna feel tired, they're gonna get dry, they're gonna feel irritated, our vision's gonna be blurry. So take breaks. And what I would say is follow the 2020 rule. Now 2020, we usually equate with perfect vision. But what I would say, the 2020 rule is every 20 minutes, set your timer, every 20 minutes, take a 20 second break. All you have to do is the timer goes off. Okay, I'm going to just close my eyes for a few minutes. I'm going to get up and walk around, take a quick walk around the room or do some deep breathing, eyes closed. That will help you to refresh and rejuvenate your eyes. So um, think about that. Incorporate that into your screen time habits and you'll feel more comfortable that way. Yeah, thank you. And what about just regular TV? Like I don't even have TV, but is that screen time too? It is. Yes, yeah. it is. So yeah. any kind of screen emits blue light, emits lots of different colors of light, but particularly blue light. And that blue light is short wavelength light. It's high energy light. It can cause eye strain. Blue light also comes from our sun, by the way. The sun is the highest emitter of blue light, but our screens emit blue light at times when our bodies are not supposed to be exposed to blue light, particularly at night. So um, too much blue light exposure, particularly at the end of the day, can be associated with trouble sleeping. Um, in children, there are some studies that show that too much blue light exposure can be associated with behavioral issues like ADHD, et cetera. Um, um, so just be mindful of your screen exposure. Maybe you can get a screen filter um, to reduce the amount of blue light coming, particularly at the end of the day, especially after the sun sets, you want to try to limit that. So there's lots of way to modulate blue light. And also make sure you're getting your natural blue blockers in, that lutein and zeaxanthin. That can also, there are studies that show that lutein and zeaxanthin can help fight eye strain and blue light sensitivity. So keep that in mind from a nutritional perspective. Well, that's what I love about Audible because then at least, you know, that doesn't hurt my eyes. And I stay more awake when I do Audible books than when I <laughs> try to read a book. Question from... Pat, I'm 71. I've whole food plant-based more than 20 years. Can low vision and slow mydratus be corrected? I'm not sure what slow mydratus is. Midriasis, mm -hmm. maybe? Midriasis? Maybe I read it wrong. Maybe I need to wear glasses. Okay. Hmm. Well... Mydriatus, that's what she wrote, M-Y-D, mydriatus. Mydriasis, maybe mydriasis. Yeah, so, so what, hap what, what, um, what happens is our pupils, are, uh, the aperture in our eyes to let light in, is constantly changing depending on our lighting conditions. So if we're in a dark room, our pupils are really big, we go out into the sun, go out into a bright room, they become really, really small. So our, our pupils are constantly changing size to allow for different amounts of light to get in. When we get older, our pupils don't acclimate as quickly. So for example, um, if you're inside and you go out, and out into the bright sun, it will be a lot harder for your eyes to recalibrate and pupil size to change. So that's per perhaps what she's referring to, I'm guessing. And that is something that happens as people do get older, whether they're going from inside to outside or from outside to inside, it takes a little bit longer for their eyes to adjust for their focus to come in. And sometimes people may, people may be even extremely light sensitive if they're going from indoors to outdoors because of this pupil kind of a lag in the pupil size. Um, I would say the best thing is, is to gradually acclimate your eyes. So 
you know, maybe, um, again, maybe wearing a hat if you're going outdoors or wearing those sunglasses to get your eyes to adjust to the light. Or maybe if you're coming indoors, maybe just take a few seconds at the door. If you're feeling a little bit unsteady, uncomfortable, because your eyes haven't adjusted yet to dimmer indoor conditions, um, take take a little bit of time just to be safe in your house. So, um, you know, to just to allow your eyes to to refocus. Is it true that if we have cataracts or prone to them, we should always wear sunglasses outdoors, even if it doesn't seem sunny out? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, I would say that the most critical periods of the day are between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, that's really when everybody should be wearing their sunglasses, even on cloudy days, because those rays can get in even on cloudy days. And um, not only can those rays cause uh, cataracts, they can also increase macular degeneration rates, and they can also cause growths on the surface of the eye. So sometimes people get benign growths on the surface of the eye from too much sun exposure or wind exposure. So it's really, really important to wear sunglasses. I really like the wraparound kind to really give as much protection as I can, not just to my eyes, but to my eyelids as well, because even our eyelids, you know, the skin of our eyelids may be susceptible to too much UV exposure, maybe even growths, benign growths, or even malignant growths, people can get eyelid cancers. So it's really, really important to wear UV protection. Great. Thank you. Dixie asks, would fluid-filled sacks on eyelashes go away with hot compresses? So for that, I would actually recommend cool compresses. So some people have bags, you know, whether it's under their eyes or on the top of their eyes. And what's happening is we have fat pads in our eye sockets that help to cushion our eyes. And as we get older, those fat pads kind of pooch through, they pooch through the skin and cause those, those eye bags that people can see. And so the best thing to do is to get those to shrink and cold temperatures can help to get, to get them to shrink. Also caffeine. So um, there are um, I don't know if you've seen like um, eye masks that people can buy. Also, you know, on Amazon, they're readily available. Some of them are infused with caffeine extract. And so caffeine can help reduce the bags and sags and even dark circles. So that's something that you may want to look into is to maybe um, using one of those. Uh, they're kind of like semi, like almost like paisley shaped um, eye masks that you can buy. Great. Thank you. Um Let's see. Ronnie says, what do you know of narrow angles? I have them and I can't be tested for glaucoma. So narrow angles are a risk factor for a certain type of glaucoma, meaning that the drainage system in your eye is a little bit narrow. And so the fluid may not be draining as readily and it can predispose you to a, an attack of angle closure glaucoma. And so for that, oftentimes if the angle is really, really narrow, then um, there is actually a procedure that should be done to prevent an attack of angle closure glaucoma. Now, I know people sometimes shy away from that. Oh, I don't want to have a procedure done, but it's a really um, uh, a relatively quick laser that can be done to alleviate narrow angles. And I'll tell you, my, my mom actually had narrow angles um, and she had this laser done in both eyes and it basically resolved the situation. So it took care of it and now she doesn't have narrow angles anymore. So it is um, basically, it's, it's, um, it's there, it's, it's, uh, you can treat it, basically can cure the narrow angles if you have a laser procedure done. But all of these, you know, suggestions, you should really just talk to your eye doctor and find out, you know, what stage you're at and also what's the best option for you. Because there are also different stages of narrow angles. Not every narrow angle needs to have a laser procedure. So talk to your doctor and get that personalized recommendation. Great. Thank you. And Ronnie also wants to know, what do you think of blue blocker glasses? Wow. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan. And the reason is because I know that there are many companies out there that sell blue blockers and, 
And um, the truth is the majority of the blue blockers, they look um, very clear in color or they're very light, light yellow. And sometimes you can barely tell that somebody's wearing a blue blocker. The truth is that those blue blockers are only probably blocking about 10 to 30% of the blue light. And really to get the benefit, you need to get a blue blocker that's blocking the majority of the blue light, like 98, 99, or 100% of the blue light. And for that, you need to get a really deeply tinted blue blocker, like a yellow, uh, not a yellow tint, but a red tint or a, uh, an amber tint or dark orange tint will block most of the blue light. So most blue blockers on the market are only blocking, again, a small proportion of the blue light. And the better thing, again, is include those macular carotenoids in your diet, those foods that are rich in lutein and zeaxanthin, and boost your body's natural ability to block blue light. That's my suggestion. Nice. And Elizabeth, who asked the questions on CRVO, wanted to know, is there a cure for it? Uh, many times with CRVO, patients will end up getting eye injections. So this is something that you should talk to your doctor about. Um, um, sometimes patients can get some degree of vision back, but it's never, unfortunately, it's never back to what they had before their baseline. Usually people do lose a considerable amount of vision. Um, we actually had a family friend who had CRVO last year and he did lose quite a bit of vision despite having, you know, the treatments afterwards, that initial stroke episode is really what determines what your vision will be. So if it's been going on for some time, it's unlikely that your retina is going to be able to recover to a significant degree. I hate to say it, unfortunately, but that is the truth. There are some studies going on with stem cells and CRVO. So that may be something that you can ask your doctor about. Maybe you would qualify for a stem cell, stem cell study. Make sure it's part of a clinical trial. Or don't just go to any stem cell center and get stem cells injected into your eye. That is very, very risky. Do it under the auspices of a clinical trial. Perfect. Thank you. Uh... Zuli says, can infrared light be put on the eyes and what will be the benefits? So infrared and red light have been studied uh, for their benefits, um, anti-aging benefits, their skin health benefits, um, and their eye benefits. But I would say don't look directly at the light. I always tell my patients, if you're going to do any kind of red light therapy, infrared light therapy, do it with your eyelids closed. That light will still penetrate but it's not going to directly go and potentially cause any issues inside your eye. Great. And will cataract surgery treat narrow angles? In some cases, yes. If you have, if your anatomy is such that the lens is really large and it's pushing everything forward and causing the narrow angle, when the lens is removed surgically, then it will open up the angle. So it can potentially treat narrow angle as well. Thank you. People, I just, I, I apologize keeping you longer. People really like you and they're saying that you should do a show like Dr. Pai. Dr. Pai has a show uh, once a month where he goes through every spice and they said you should do the same thing with every food on eye health. But I, I mean, the reason you're still here is people are really enjoying you and you're very- oh, I'm glad. Actually, I'm, I'm actually planning to do, I do a lot of like lives on Instagram and everything, but next year I'm planning to do a podcast. So stay tuned for that. And I'm going to be talking about all things eye-related, whether it's nutrition, lifestyle, and some of the traditional surgeries and treatments also used for eye health. Thank you. Well, I want to respect your time. It's Thanksgiving. So we'll just do, I see, um, two more questions. And that's it, guys, because she's got to be with family. One, and I said we have to do the recipe too. So, Oh, my God. Yeah. So, all right. That's it. I'm going to take the two that I see. And remember, I only see them on YouTube. I don't see them if you're watching on Facebook. Is there any special nutrition for eradicating floaters? Oh my goodness. I, I wish I could say yes. 
So floaters are very common. They're present in about to set in up to 75, 80% of people. I have floaters myself. I've had them since I was five. They're super common. Um, think of the eye like a snow globe. So the floaters are inside your eye. And if you shake, shake the snow globe around, those, you know, those little specks will move around. Same thing. If you move your eye around, you're going to see the floaters a lot. They're going to be moving in your vision. In terms of nutrition, um, there is some early work out of Taiwan looking at bromelain. Bromelain is a compound. It's an enzyme that comes from pineapple, um, looking at bromelain for floaters. And so those researchers had some preliminary positive data in terms of bromelain from pineapple reducing the, the severity of floaters. But the truth is they're always going to be there. Again, the eye is a closed system. Those, the bromelain is not going to dissolve the floater. It may make them less noticeable to you, but it's not going to dissolve the floater. So that's what I'll say about that in terms of food and floaters. Great. Thank you. And Gina says, how common is vitreous detachment and can cataract surgery cause it? Yes. Vitreous detachment is very common, especially as we get older. Um, usually happens in one's mid fifties, but can you know happen sixties, seventies, eighties and beyond. Um, yes. Cataract surgery, any kind of eye surgery or eye trauma can potentially cause a vitreous detachment. But then again, there are people who have no trauma, no surgery whatsoever, and they just happen spontaneously. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. What I would say is if you have a vitreous detachment, if it's acute, definitely get it checked out because sometimes it can be associated with a retinal tear, retinal detachment, and you want to get that identified and treated as soon as possible. Um, get another follow-up exam within one month. If you're good within those two eye exams, the first one and then the one-month one, you're probably good and it's not going to cause you any long-term issues. Thank you. You seem very, very knowledgeable and passionate about eye health. So I know okay. you want to do your recipe and maybe you can talk about lazy eye and double vision as you're going moving to your recipe segue. Okay, awesome. Great. So I'm going to actually switch um, switch cameras here. So just give me a sec. Sure thing. I'll Pull just camera over. here. I'll just tell everybody what's going on later. We got to get done by 11 because we have Robert Cheek interviewing Dr. Daphne Bascombe. So you don't want to miss that show. I want to change in between shows. And tomorrow, ooh, we got a lot of shows tomorrow. Boy, there's a lot of shows tomorrow. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. And please understand that we this is a YouTube show and it's on YouTube, but I also multi-stream it on Facebook and Twitter. So if you want to participate though live in the chat and questions, you have to be watching on YouTube. I can only see what you write on Facebook if I jump screens, which is very dangerous for me to do because I can lose the chat um, or afterwards. And then the doctor is not there to answer afterwards. And... She's back. Yay. Just have to unmute her or ask her to unmute. There we go. Just need to unmute. Yeah, there you go. Okay, great. Excellent. So today, in honor of Thanksgiving, um, I decided that I would share a recipe, a smoothie recipe with cranberries as well as pomegranate. These are some of my favorite foods, and um, pomegranate is highlighted. It's one of the, the therapeutic foods for eye health. Now, earlier I said that um, a green smoothie is great for your eyes. And typically I recommend um, a green smoothie every day. And so this is just one of the many, many different types of green smoothies you can make. They are super easy to make, um, super easy. Uh, and you, know, you can even pre-make them the night before if you want to keep it in the fridge. Um, it's great for kids too, to get their leafy greens in and their nutrients in. So I'm going to share this, um, this kale, blueberry, cranberry, pomegranate, um, uh, smoothie with you. So super easy. So I've already had the, the ingredients uh, proportioned out. So I have kale here. This is actually tightly packed two cups of kale, um, slightly shredded. 
and it's pre-washed. So I'm gonna just put this into here. And then, so um, in terms of berries, I was talking earlier about the darker the berry, the better. So I love adding blueberries, blackberries to my smoothies. Once in a while, I'll switch it up. I'll add some strawberries, raspberries, but this is one cup of fresh blueberries. Um, so put that in there. And then cranberries, now you can either do um, just regular um, cranberries or you can freeze them if you want for a slightly uh, thicker, colder texture. But um, but these, so these are cranberries, again, in honor of Thanksgiving. So this is one cup. And then I'm gonna add some pomegranate, one of my favorite foods, very uh, rich in antioxidants. And then I'm gonna add some, um, uh, your favorite plant milk of choice. So um, I love oat milk. Um, we use this all the time in our household. So this is oat milk, but you can use any milk you want. You wanna use almond milk or hemp milk, um, whatever is best for you, uh, you can use that. So this is one cup here. Okay, then if you'd like, you can add a little bit of nuts or I actually, uh, this is nut butter. So either one is fine. Um, I decided to do nut butter because it's gonna blend a little bit more smoothly. So this is um, one tablespoon of, of almond nut butter. And then if you'd like to add some extra protein, you can do some um, plant-based protein. So this is um, hemp protein here. So again, not everybody wants to have uh, protein in their smoothie, but I like to add a little bit. And so this is about one scoop of, um, of hemp protein. And so then I'm gonna just take this and grab my blender here. Super easy, doesn't take long, just takes a couple of minutes in the morning to make, or again, make it the night before, if that's easier for you. It's great for kids. There we go. Okay, so what I would recommend is you're gonna put it on the blend setting and start off slow and then just increase the, the speed of the blender. So I'm gonna start this here. And it's for a great breakfast smoothie, or you can take it to work, you can have it as a snack, midday snack. It's super, super yummy, delicious, and super neat. So I would blend it for at least, and I'm, I'm watching it right here, but um, if you want to have it a little bit um, uh, less thick, you can add a little bit more uh, milk to it or ice. But I would blend it for at least 30 seconds. And there you go, um, your kale, cranberry, blueberry, pomegranate, um, almond butter, and protein powder smoothie right there. So I don't have a glass actually, but oh, I'm no. <laughs> What are you gonna drink it out of? What kind of blender is that? This is actually an Instapot blender. So um, I'm actually here, this is, I'm not doing the show today from my, from my home, I'm doing it from my in-laws house. So um, this is a very powerful Instapot blender and it's got lots of settings. And so it's actually really quite easy to use. But at home, I use um, a smaller, just a, a little a Nutribullet, but you can use any kind of blender that you have. Wow, yummy. Yeah, that super easy. Fun. A little Thanksgiving uh, flavor to it with the cranberries. And again, you can mix it up with any kind of green you want. So uh, whether you want to put spinach or maybe a mix of spinach and kale, arugula, anything you want, mix for a great green smoothie. That is delicious. Well, thank you so much. You're just so knowledgeable. I, do you have time quickly to just talk about lazy eye and what was the other one? Double, was it? I forget now. Oh, double vision. Yes. Yeah. So um, both lazy eye and double vision, um, common in kids, 
uh, especially lazy eye, but it can happen in adults too. Um, so it has to do with how the eyes are working together and there are many, many different causes of it. So I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of exactly, you know, what is it and what causes it, what causes a misalignment, but um, it is very, very common in children and it can be treated. Sometimes it can be treated just with glasses alone. Sometimes kids wear glasses and the, the eyes straighten out and then kids are doing great and they don't need to have um, any kind of intervention like surgery, but sometimes it doesn't quite um, correct itself with glasses alone, and sometimes people need to have um, surgery done. Unfortunately, right. there is no, I wish that there were some you know, magic nutrient that could really treat lazy eye, but to my knowledge, from my research, I haven't found one yet, but I'll keep looking. Do you do the, the surgery for um, like LASIK? Do you do that? I don't do LASIK. I do cataracts and I do other types of lasers, but not LASIK. LASIK, okay. All right. Well, you, you're just wonderful. I'm so happy that I met you and that you um, approached me at Plantrition Conference. Will you be going next year, perhaps? Absolutely. I am going to be going. And hopefully, um, Dr. Still, who's the founder of the Plantrition Conference, he invited me to be a speaker. <gasps> so hopefully next year, I'll share a lot of this information. Oh I hope with my colleagues, so then they can go and share it with their patients and clients also. Well, thank you. Well, you are welcome back here anytime. You are just a delightful and a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for oh, doing thank it you. on the holiday. And I wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. You as well. I wish everyone a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in 15 minutes for Dr. Daphne Bascom. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.